0: That's ixl.com slash B E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am excited to have Jorge Ruiz on the program today. He is the head of school of the International School of Sosua in the Dominican Republic. He has been in the field of education for over 20 years. He's been a teacher in the primary, secondary, and university levels, as well as an administrator for primary and secondary schools. Mr. Ruiz is an educational consultant specializing in project-based learning professional learning communities and shared leadership he received the national merit award for contributions to education from the dominican republic in 2018 he has also served and hosted on cognia engagement reviews in several countries of latin america jorge welcome to transformative principle thank you for having me i'm excited to talk with you today we have um already talked before, and I learned a lot of amazing things about the Dominican Republic and about um, the school that you serve in. So start out by telling us a little bit about the school that you serve in, because it is so unique and it is very different from what probably most listeners of this podcast have heard about.
1: Well, sure. Um, right now, I am in the international school, to, uh, which is at on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. It's a, a very beach town rural community, um, but at the same time, one of the beauties of it is that it, it is considered to be, you know, it, it makes, it's an immigrant safe haven. It's an expat territory. Uh, so the ISS, the has been around since 1989. And through the, you know, three decades, what it has always been known for is it, it's two major elements. One- creating citizens that uh, are socially conscious of what's happening, what's happening around them uh, while always always striving for academic excellence. You know, I know that that sounds very, you know, typical of a school, but one of the beauties behind ISS and the community that we are in, that we have 27 different nationalities here at ISS. It's a very small school that starts from students that are, like a year and eight months old, all the way through seniors at top grade, of course. And in that, we all, we have less than 300 students. So you just imagine having less than 300 students from 1.8 years to 18 years. And at the same time, having 27 different nationalities. So it's, it's a very peculiar and beautiful place to be in uh, because everything, everything that you teach, everything that you uh, go through has to also consider this like vast array of different points of views and perspectives about how the world is, how the world should be, and how the world was also. So everything from science to history through literature, you have to see it in a different lens.
0: Yeah, I just find that so fascinating because we think about diversity here and, you know, the differences is is how our country is created and and what makes us diverse is different than uh, you being in a in a different country than than we are and we talk about diversity of having you know maybe four or five different nationalities is is fairly diverse in in most schools here and a lot of places you know they have dozens and dozens of different nationalities in really diverse areas but we have this thing that keeps us all um, together which is that we are Americans or trying to become Americans and the expat um, type of clientele that you also attract, they're not necessarily doing that. And so they may be working there in the Dominican Republic, but still maintaining citizenship in their home country and, and things like that. Is there anything else you want to say about that, that I maybe missed or got wrong?
1: Well, I think the other piece to it is that one of the things we are a U.S. accredited school. So our, our institution, well, all of our students graduate with um, a diploma from the Dominican Republic Ministry of Education, but they also graduate with one that is U.S. accredited as well. And it's also one of the things that has been really interesting is you know ba- having that balancing act between what does the Dominican Ministry require you to do, what does the you know U.S. Secretary of Education require you to do, and at the same time you have these twenty-seven nationalities, so you have to really. You know, take that into consideration when when we teach certain topics, and uh, we even with just the the books that we purchase and the uh, the ideals and beliefs behind it, there are small tweaks of what we have to say and how the way we have to think about it. Because you know, you go through all all these other ideas, you know, and and I think diversity is, is a beautiful thing. It definitely has has forced us as educators to have to understand that there is no real. There, there are multiple points of view to everything, and, you know, the facts are the facts. So, let's, you know, if we teach the facts, we're going well. We're doing good. We're doing the way that it's supposed to go. Uh, but the idea is, you know, how do you also teach students to respect others' points of views? How do you teach students and even how to teach educators and parents, you know, because it's part of your community, to be collaborative and to be respectful of each other and to promote that diversity and be proud of that diversity.
0: Yeah, and being proud of the diversity is is different than just acknowledging that exists. Um, I want to talk a little bit about relationships because that's something that that I know that you see as incredibly valuable for any kind of uh, work in a school. What what does, talk to us about how you see relationships and how important they are. As an educator and as a learner
1: myself, I have learned that, I am in a continuous evolution. And one of the things that I have grown to understand that is, you know, in education we hear that success is measured by uh, percentage, a letter grade, you know, some rubric, not to say that this isn't correct. However, I think that the success of an institution, of your your institution, your classroom, it's not going to be based on standard based reporting or the latest literacy program. It's going to be in regards to the relations that you have built and how those permeate and are ingrained into the culture that you live in. One of the things that we think about, even ourselves, like if if you yourself had to think back to your post-secondary schooling, your secondary schooling, your primary schooling, anybody who's looking to this, you think back to a classroom that you were in and not all of us are going to remember maybe the, the, the different enlightenment thinkers for what is the quadratic formula or what, are, what exactly are all the, the elements in the periodic table. We all went through it. We all studied it regardless of what nation we came from. We all mm-hmm. had to go through it. But what we're going to remember is who were those educators? Who were those people in that community that impacted us the most? Who were those people who were respectful to us? Who were those people who had empathy for us? And those people who had like an authentic relationship with you, that actually turned into like a long-lasting relationship or a long-lasting effect into who you are as an educator, who you are as a learner. Who you are as a person. So to us, the relationships that are built, we've gone to the point of starting to say that they have to be. There have to be called real relationships, and that's where we come up with the acronym like respect, empathy, authentic, and long-lasting. If you come into the classroom, if you come into the building, you know, because when we talk about relationships, we are talking about you know the security guard at the gate. It is the the maintenance staff it is the gardeners it is the cafeteria staff. And, and yes it is the ia and the interventionists and the coaches and the teachers but it's also the pta you know it's also everybody who has something to do with the school has to understand that the relationships that you build with everybody is what's really going to make your school successful one of the first things we learn, even when you're teaching in primary school, is that you have to get to know people. And, and I think that's the difference when you, I read articles and it, people will say, oh, you have to learn the names of each of your students. And to me, it's baffling that that is something that is considered to be a good strategy. To me, that's, yeah. that's a given. That's a given. Yeah. You have to know the names of all your students, but you have to go beyond that. You have to know where they're coming from. You have to know each of your students' stories. And I know that there's going to be educators out there that will say, well, you know, it's impossible when I have 100 students. The truth is, it's not. If, if you really give part of your time, if you dedicate the time to sit down with your students and get to know them as people, you will understand what's their true story once you know their true story, you'll be able to know how to really tackle their strengths and tackle their areas of improvement, and they will perform better in your class. Once they know that you see them as a real person, then you are, you're literally 50% through. You, the success of your class, of your institution, is going to be ridiculously better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And those those small acts of getting to know someone and understanding their story, almost every kid is just looking to be seen and understood for who they are. And if you start there, rather than just knowing somebody's name, which is a, a pretty low bar of success, but making sure that they're seen and heard really goes a long way for every kid, regardless of their age, regardless of their economic status, regardless of their disability or lack thereof, or giftedness, everybody wants to be seen and heard for who they are. Definitely. And one of the things that
1: really shocks me is, up. example, you think of any other, any other career, let's say, like, for example, a doctor. You go and you go to a doctor's office because you have an ailment or because you want to Perform better in something else, right? So it could be positive, like it could be negative, or maybe it's just a random routine checkup. In all three of these scenarios, where you're going for positive, neutral, or negative, you are also hoping that the person that you are seeing has read your background, mm-hmm. that has an understanding of where you're coming from. Knows if you have allergies, if you have certain ailments, if you know what what are the vaccines that you have in your system. You know, what what medicine can you take? What medicine can't you take? What illnesses have you had in the past? So if we think about it this way, you take that scenario and you can take that scenario and throw it into, you know, a legal case that you want. You're hiring a lawyer. You want somebody who is going to go and look at the background of you. So we have that expectation pretty much every other business, every other career. If you go for a loan, you want that person not to just say approved or unapproved. You want that person to listen to your story and they're saying why you want a loan. Why are you applying for this loan? Why do you need this loan? So you expect these things from everybody else in all other major services that curtail to citizens, that curtail to an actual community member. You know, why do we not do the same thing in education, which is the building block for all those other careers.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up the doctor example because I went to the to a doctor a little while ago. I took my kids to, one of the, to a doctor and the, the questionnaire, you know, had all this stuff and then we go in to see the doctor and the doctor's asking us all the stuff that we already filled out on the questionnaire. And I, I was like, this is pointless. Why did I fill out all that information? It totally took down my level of confidence that the doctor would actually be able to help us. Because he just didn't care that we had filled out all this paperwork. He didn't look at it. And he only started looking at it once we started talking. And I said, yeah, on the paper, I indicated that this had happened in the past. And at that point, he finally looked at the paper and said, oh, yeah, I see that this is here. And then he looked at it while I was sitting there. So instead of doing the work beforehand, you know, he just came in and, and started going. And I I just remember thinking, man, that was just a such a negative experience and it didn't have to be and I imagine that that happens with our kids and all the time and several instances uh, I've experienced that where a teacher just doesn't pay attention to who that kid is and could have resolved many issues before they even started had they taken the time uh, to do that. to share something that I am sponsoring, which is the Equity Awards. Transformative Principles proud to sponsor the inaugural Excellence in Equity Awards presented by the American Consortium for Equity in Education. This award program, designed to spotlight and celebrate high-impact work across K-12 education, features 27 different award categories covering all angles of equity, 10 categories for educators and support staff from every role in our schools, and 17 categories for companies. And nonprofits. I'm sponsoring the leadership category naturally. Educators of all roles and backgrounds, including school and district leaders, technology leadership, teachers, mental health professionals, librarians, and media specialists, and more, can self nominate or nominate a colleague. All companies and nonprofits, including publishers and authors, can submit nominations as well. You can find all the information at ace ed slash awards. That's A-C-E dash E-D dot O-R-G slash awards. Get your nominations in before June 30th. You know, one of the things that you mentioned before was that your biggest priority is relationships first and then depth of knowledge. And you talked about that a little bit, but we, because of the pandemic, a lot of people are worried about kids, you know, not being where they should be. Uh, But you would still assert that relationships are more important than getting that depth of knowledge. How do you handle that in your school? Oh, yeah. Well, first
1: of all, I'm just going to confirm exactly what you said there's been so much talk about the learning gaps and the learning gaps and the learning gaps. And the truth is that we always have learning gaps. You know, there, there is never a group, even if you have a honors prep school that people have to literally apply to attend, there's still going to be learning gaps and there's still going to be different levels, even in those groups. So a true educator will di- differentiate. A true educator will run diagnostics. A true educator will constantly run formative assessment to understand where their students are and how to navigate and adapt to where they are. So that what that's always going to be happening. So the learning gaps were going to exist regardless. Few people are talking about the social emotional elements of the students teachers, and parents after this pandemic. So building those relationships, saying, I see you eye to eye. I understand what you've been through. I've been through it myself. What has changed since then? You know, what has changed since the last time we were able to see you? 12 months. You know, some some schools in, in some parts of the world were blessed to be able to continue having in-person teaching. Here in the Dominican Republic, we went 18 months. Without in person teaching, mandated by the government. So it you know, really didn't depend if your parents were okay. It didn't depend if the vaccines were available. It didn't depend if your school was um, equipped to receive them. It was just mandated that everything had to be at you know, distance learning like for 18 months. Um, so when you think about that, we had 18 months without seeing students. We lost connection with kids. We lost rapport with students. We lost rapport with parents. We lost rapport with our community. So building that first, again, is the most important piece. After that, you got to go for depth of knowledge. And here's a piece where it's a little bit different to, I guess, what a lot of people are saying. A lot of people are saying we have to rush through the curriculum. We have to rush through the curricula and we have to fill in those gaps as quickly as possible. And I think that's also... Another, another definitely negative thing that they're doing, which is instead of focusing on okay, what are the things that we know? You know, we know our curricula. We know what these students are going to need for X assessment or the PSATs or the SATs or the APs or just to be successful in whatever's happening after secondary school, after primary school. You know, we know that as educators, we really know. So. Once we have that, it's like, okay, let's focus on these specific elements because we know that these are the pieces that are 100% required for them to be successful. So I was, for example, I was a, a humanities teacher. I taught both literature and I taught both uh, history um, when I was in the classroom. And if you sat me down and said, okay, Jorge, I need you. We only have X amount of time to teach the most important things. Can you go through your curricula and just hack away at the things that you know that you love to teach kids enjoy? But what is the, what are the elements that they have to know? And the truth is that all of us as educators, if we've read our curricula, if we've unpacked those standards, we all know what are the things that they need to do. We all know which are the elements that need to work on. So with that, like one, one huge, easy, easy strategy for people who are struggling with that is, you know, try to go for inquiry-based and project-based learning. Try to do mil- a multidisciplinary approach that is inquiry-based and project-based. Instead of teaching everything separately and trying to just ram worksheets and homework down a student's throats, which is just basically going to make you not really enjoy your job either and give you more work, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, try to make something that is inquiry-based and project-based, that is multidisciplinary, that requires you to collaborate with your peers, requires uh, your students to understand that you teachers are collaborating. So they are building this knowledge with different teachers at the same time. That's beautiful, because then they understand the world works that way. If we all know that none of us wakes up in the morning and says, today, I'm only going to do algebra. No, in our life. Everything that we do is a mixture, a perfect recipe of everything that we've learned put together. That's how life works. Ergo, why don't we teach that way as well? That's also going to push us to focus on a, a larger depth of knowledge. In the yeah. primary grades, the biggest question, and the biggest fear is, oh, the literacy is going is to, our literacy program is definitely have, got hit because of the pandemic. So let's cut science, let's cut social studies. And that's a giant mistake. You could teach literacy using any subject. You should, on the contrary, push science and push social studies, mix that science with the mathematics as much as possible, and make nonfiction and fiction reading and writing using the science and the social studies and the mathematical concepts that you are teaching. The kids will learn to read, write, speak, and listen correctly if you tackle it in all of the subjects instead of thinking that literacy has to be a separate program. But again, that's my big, that's, that's more of a personal opinion of mine in the sense that I don't believe in literacy programs. And I and I get it, a lot of people love literacy programs. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, there's obviously a lot of discussion over should we do phonological awareness? Do we do a, a, a phonics program or not? Do we do you know work on writing? Do we do Lucy Caucus Readers Writers Workshop? You have you, you may have your and that's great. You have that. What I believe is that true, true readers, true writers learn best when they're tackled with it in different ways. And one of the things that we also have to comprehend is that when we look at things like the NWA, Measures of Academic Progress, when we look at the PSATs, the SATs, and the AP program, and the IB program, when you look at those last elements, like theory of knowledge, or capstone seminars, or just a regular SAT test, they require you to read scientific journals they require you to read historical texts. So if you've not been exposed to historical texts and scientific journals in your schooling, you're also not going to do well on those texts either. So even for those people who are very traditionalist and believe in uh, traditional assessment, it's another point or two. You know, Unless you teach how to read science and you teach how to read history and write in those same templates, you're still not preparing your students for the best. So depth of knowledge, inquiry based and project-based is probably the best way to go.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And one of the things that I was very close to doing in one of my schools, I don't know if it would have ever come to pass, but I was heading in that direction of eliminating our English language arts courses and pushing that into every other course so that the things that kids would have learned in that course, they learned in context of the other uh, classes that they were taking from electives to social studies to math and science. Because it, being able to read great literature is good and should happen, but it's so much more valuable in the long term to be able to connect ideas, to understand all these different perspectives based on the the position of the person who, who was writing or who was talking about that thing. So that you can understand all of that in context. I think that's so powerful. And it's really a, a testament to how important literacy is, is that if you can read, then you can do anything else. But you don't get to that by just drill and kill, focusing solely on the reading. That is enough to make someone you know, go mad. But if you can instead focus on helping kids read things that they are interested in, and read things that actually matter, then it increases their literacy significantly because they're able to apply it in different contexts. And it that doesn't mean that their early literacy scores are going to dramatically improve suddenly, but you'll be able to see the fruits of that from everything else that you're doing with kids. Does that does that make sense? Yes, yeah, definitely. And you think if you think about it,
1: it that's kind of like how life works. You know, when when we consider Even in sports, if if you think about sports, which is a great analogy, you prepare an athlete to do multiple things and they might be great at one particular skill, but you always prepare them for everything. And I can sit you down and say, Jethro, you're going to be a pitcher. And I can explain to you with multiple videos and worksheets and activities, the anatomical and mechanical elements that you would need to be a pitcher. But the truth is, I also then have to, at some point, get you to actually throw a ball. And then after that, even after after that, after just showing you how to throw the ball, it's, you have to work on form, you have to work on speed. But take that example, and even the pitchers have to learn how to bat, and they have to learn how to catch, and they have to learn speed and have to learn how to run because they're going to be exposed to those things. But yeah. how do you get a good pitcher and how you get a good athlete is through pure practice and through actually getting them into play. And you have to get them to play with a team. And then you have to actually have them play with another team and learn from their mistakes and so on and so forth. And you can take that example and use it honestly with almost any sport Or any any particular recreational element of arts as well is that people learn through doing, Mm -hmm. and it's the same. We I can try as much as possible. So it doesn't to me. It's the idea of literacy can be taught definitely in the class in the very early ages. That makes perfect sense. That we are teaching the kids, you know, basic phonological awareness. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That's true. And that's actually the way we do it here at ISS. We work at phonological awareness first, as opposed to just understanding, like, this is the letter. Mm -hmm. Let's go through it. It's understanding um, the consonant-vowel pairs or the specific rules and the rules that don't work. But you really, in the end, as much as you want, will only truly learn how to read, speak, and listen through pure practice. I see it as an international educator all the time. I'll have a, somebody applying for a position and I'll ask them like, well, you know, what's your experience in Spanish? And they'll say, oh, I took Spanish in school. I took Spanish in college. And I was like, I'll, I'll, I can switch to Spanish and start speaking to you. And they're like, oh, wait, no, it's not the same. It's the truth. It's, you only really do it through, through practice. Mm-hmm. You could be living in the Dominican Republic for 10 years, but if you don't go out and expose yourself to Spanish, and you go and and speak to actual people in Spanish and hang out with people in Spanish, your Spanish is gonna stay at the same level, which is something that you could see in the States. You could see a lot of immigrants who've gone to the United States that do not know the language. But the truth is, is they're not exposed to to that language because they all usually go to live together and stay in their same group together, which there's nothing wrong with that. But take that reality and look at it to what happens in school. If you do everything per subject, The kids do not connect the importance that exists between one subject and the next subject and how they all actually mesh together.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful, Jorge. I I think that as we understand that better, our education system is going to get better as well. And in every school that I have implemented some sort of inquiry based approach, I have seen kids learn deeper, faster and are able to reproduce the information they learned more effectively. I mean, that has just been the reality. There, that's not that's just what happens when you do that. So my final question for you, Jorge, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you?
1: Well, I would say the first the, one of the most important things is, we all have a lot, we all have mountains of work. And we all have to worry about scheduling and budgets and we have parents and we have disciplinary issues. You know, those things will never, the one thing you need to do is get out of your office, go to the quad, go outside to the park, go to the cafeteria and sit down with the kids. Not just talk about what they're learning not to talk about the teacher, but to just talk about whatever they're talking about. So you just sit there and you eat with them and you're one of them. And it's going to be awkward if some of them, if, if if you are a person who doesn't really leave your office and they don't see you much, they're going to be like, well, what are you doing here, Mr. Joe? But if you actually sit down with them little by little, just talk to them and, and relate to them and listen to what they listen and talk about what they talk. know, It's one of those things of you have to put yourself in their shoes and understand where they are because sometimes we disconnect and mm-hmm. we run a school and we run a team, but we don't really know what's happening. So it's always good to sit there and, you know, like, for example, I, I had to listen to the last two albums of Taylor Swift front to back because the truth is, um, you know, when I sit down with my fourth graders um, that's what we talk about. We talk about yeah. Olivia Rodrigo, we talk about Taylor Swift, but I can talk about what is my favorite song and they can talk about their favorite songs and we're, we're having that conversation. You know, I can sit down with my seventh graders and we're talking about the National Baseball Leagues and we're sitting there saying like, you know, my team's better than yours and we talk about last team last week's win or I can sit with the varsity volleyball team and because, you know, I go to all their games so we could talk about that or we could talk about the latest Marvel TV show. And you have to keep up with what they're doing. And that's the reality behind it is, you know, as a leader, your, your job is to, yes, make sure that everything runs smoothly. But the best way to know and ensure that it's running smoothly is to know what your constituents believe, breathe, and feel.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely right. And that's a small price to pay for the benefit that you'll get from that. Jorge, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. If you'd like to follow Jorge on Twitter, he is at TeacherYorch, Y-O-R-C-H. And uh, thank you again, Jorge, for coming on and being part of the program.
1: No, thank you, Jeff, for the invitation. Uh, That was great.
0: Visit myflexlearning.com/be to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com/be.